Welcome to the American Society for Pharmacy Law podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Erin Albert, President-Elect of ASPL, or the American Society for Pharmacy Law. Today is the Ides of October, October 15th, 2021. First and foremost, our annual fall conference we are gearing up for, we are about three weeks away at this recording, and I'm excited to announce that we actually have more attendees attending live in Summerlin, Nevada. 135 of your colleagues will be in attendance, and we also have a virtual option this year for the ASPL Fall Conference. You can earn up to 15 hours of continuing legal and pharmacy education. So we hope to see you live in Summerlin, Nevada or virtually online. And with that, we focus on one of our speakers at our annual conference coming up November 4th through 7th. Today's guest is Jeffrey Baird. He is with Brown and Fortunato Law Firm. He will be speaking on offering value-added services to customers while avoiding prohibited inducements. He is kind enough to break down what that means today on our podcast, and he happens to be a fellow Hoosier, so we have that in common. So give a listen to my conversation with Jeff Baird, and we hope to see you soon at our annual fall conference, November 4th through 7th, 2021, in Summerlin, Nevada, or virtually. All right. We're here today with Jeff Baird of Brown and Fortunato. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. Excited to have you here. And, and we were talking off recording about the fact that we are both native Hoosiers. So let's start with and back up a little bit. Can you share with our audience a little bit about you and your career? You bet my background and Erin, like, like you, I'm a Hoosier. I grew up in Southern Indiana and then ended up going to Iowa where I went to undergrad at the University of Iowa and then came south to uh, law school, University of Tulsa, then ended up uh, moving to Texas where I married a West Texas girl who will take a one syllable word and turn it into three syllables. Um, so that's kind of my life, but in terms of career path, um, gosh, I started, I, I segued into health law in 1990. And, and then six years later, I came over to Brown Fortunato to set up its healthcare group I was a one-person healthcare group in 1996, and now we have 16 attorneys in our healthcare group, and we represent a large number of pharmacies, infusion companies, DME companies, labs, hospitals, manufacturers in all 50 states. And so we've grown quite a bit since 1996, the, and it's just a lot of fun, and we are very committed, certainly, to the uh, pharmacy space. We work with a bunch of pharmacies and, and really enjoy that experience. Well, excellent. Thank you for that background. Sure. The, the title of your talk at the ASPL 32nd annual meeting coming up is offering value added services to customers while avoiding prohibited inducements. That is a mouthful. So can you break it down for our audience and give us a thumbnail sketch of what sure. you're discussing? Well, it is, a, it is a mouthful. And of course, you understand, Aaron, that we as attorneys, we bill by the word. So I had to throw as many words in there as I could. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is that pharmacies live in a glass house. They are highly regulated. 
because they get paid under Part D. They get paid by the taxpayers of the United States. And same thing, you know, hospitals are highly regulated. Doctors are, DME companies are, labs are. Anytime we have taxpayer money in the form of Medicare, Medicaid, or any of the managed care plans going to a provider, then there are just a whole bunch of federal and state anti-fraud laws that the providers, including pharmacies, have to follow. And we have out there an animal called a whistleblower. And just what that means is that if a pharmacy is doing something it shouldn't be doing and it's violating one of the federal anti-fraud laws, then we can have a disgruntled employee that can go to an attorney and file a lawsuit it would be you know, Jeff Baird individually and in the name of the United States of America versus Aaron's Pharmacy. And, and the whistleblower lawsuit is when potential fraud comes to the attention of government enforcement authorities, such as the Department of Justice and the Office of Inspector General. So the, so the segue then to the title is that we as a pharmacy, we can do things for our patients to help them get healthier, to make their life easier, and that's okay. But there's a certain line we can't cross where it looks like we are offering the patients, um, you know, what is called a prohibited inducement or a kickback. And so value-added services, fine. Um, we go beyond that, cross that line, then now we have a problem under the federal beneficiary inducement statute and the federal anti-kickback statute and their state um, counterparts. And, and the reason, and I think um, I'll go into a little more detail here a bit later, but because we as a law firm, um, what we do as a healthcare group, we're proactive. We work with clients so that our clients don't make bad decisions. We try to work with clients so that they don't inadvertently step on a landmine. But we also defend both criminal and civil actions brought by the Department of Justice. And so we've seen the good and the bad and the ugly, and we know what the hot button items are. And so we have a pretty good feel, I think, for what we can do and what we cannot do. You know, to, to uh, quote Colin Ray, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. No, that's great. Uh Lawyers love that words matter. So could you back up and maybe define what you consider to be a value added sure. service? Absolutely. And let me give you just a little bit of background before I get down into the weeds with specific examples. The forever and ever, healthcare in the United States has been a fee-for-service model. And what that means is that whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or Blue Cross, they pay a provider for whatever the provider does, regardless of whether or not the patient gets well. And there is hardly any collaboration or communication between providers who are working on behalf of the same patient. That model is expensive, it's inefficient, and it really doesn't work anymore. And so Medicare, Medicaid, commercial insurers are pushing the healthcare industry to more of a collaborative model where they have to work together to take care of patients and where reimbursement or payment is based at least in part on whether certain benchmarks are met. But as payors are pushing pharmacies, 
doctors, hospitals into this collaborative care model, they, these providers run up against two of the toughest, um, or th actually three of the toughest federal anti-fraud statutes. The federal anti-kickback statute, which is a criminal statute, the physician self-referral statute, or STARK, S-T-A-R-K, which is a civil statute, and then we have the beneficiary inducement statute. And so as providers are working with each other, and in addition to that, as third-party payors, such as Medicare, they're encouraging pharmacies and DME companies and labs and hospitals to provide additional services to keep patients healthy. In other words, we want mom or dad to bring a child to a physician assistant or nurse practitioner on Thursday at three o'clock in the afternoon, rather than bring the child into the ER at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And so we're all, as providers, we're being encouraged to do things to help folks be proactive and stay out of the hospital. By doing all this, we, keep, we, we were running up against the language of these three statutes. And so just recently, and I won't bore you with all the details, I can send you a white paper I prepared on this. We had CMS came out and modified, relaxed, the Stark Physician Self-Referral Statute and the OIG or Office of Inspector General came out and relaxed the anti-kickback statute and the beneficiary inducement statute. So now, and, and all this, this relaxation occurred back in November of 2020. So where we are today is in a better environment than we were a year ago. So examples, you know, first of all, it, 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 it is okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with a pharmacy providing a free online uh, subscription service to patients to help them with healthy living. There can be an online prescription service uh, specific to COPD or uh, patients or um, to uh, congestive heart failure patients or to diabetic patients or to, um, gosh, wound care patients. The, um, there are different types of subscription, uh, subscription services out there that cost some money, but I am okay with a pharmacy providing those for free to its patients because the good that will come out of that far outweighs any potential inducement or kickback risk. On the other hand, a pharmacy cannot offer a free membership to a local gym or workout club. That's something that crosses the line. I'm okay if we have, for example, Jeff's Pharmacy, if I'm employing an RT, uh, who, will, who I make available to work with my COPD patients who um, come in and get respiratory drugs for me, that's okay. That's value added service. I'm expending the money to have an RT on staff. Um, at the same time, what I cannot do is offer a prepaid debit card to patients saying, hey, here's, you know, here's some extra money for you to use uh, when you have to go see your doctor or go in for some type of medical appointment because there's no control over that. Who knows what the patient's gonna use that for. It's not okay for a pharmacy to engage in what's called a refer a friend program. In other words, Aaron, you refer your next door neighbor to Jess Pharmacy and I'm gonna give you a $50 gift certificate. 
can't do that. Also, what a pharmacy cannot do is routinely waive the patient's copayment. But what the pharmacy can do is um, waive the copayment on a patient by patient basis if the patient shows an inability to pay. And the last two examples are, I'm okay if the pharmacy wants to provide um, some type of pill dispensary uh, packet or box uh, free of charge to its patients so that they take the right pills at the right time on the right day. Um, I'm okay with the pharmacy reviewing each patient's drug regimen. So there's just kind of a, you know, basically in fraud and abuse land, you have what's called the duck test. So that is what looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck. So there's just certain things that we can do and then certain things that our stomach tells us we can't. So what I've just given you are a few examples. No, that's super helpful. Cause I know there's always this push and pull in pharmacy between trying to be innovative, but not crossing any lines, right? Especially if federal funds are being used to reimburse for prescriptions. And it's a gray area. That's a good point, Erin. And it, it's I mean, so much as a healthcare attorney, so much of what we do is gray. And what I'm about to say sounds kind of cliche-ish or trite, but bear with me. What I tell clients is when you're looking at a business arrangement, something you want to offer, if your brain tells you that it's okay, but if your stomach hurts, ignore your brain, trust your stomach. And that's kind of, that's a really good rule of thumb. And what I'm about to tell you next is very self-serving, so I apologize. But when a pharmacy is wanting to do something in terms of giving, providing value-added services to patients, it's best for the pharmacy to call a healthcare attorney and just run it past him or her because a, a pharmacy's local business lawyer who's just as smart as I am, you know, can do great work. But if that business lawyer has not been wallowing in this stuff, then he or she's not going to have the slightest idea as to what's going on. So just, we just need to be careful. Yeah. And that's a fair statement. I think throughout the entire series that we've started with the ASPL podcast, one of the recurring themes is healthcare and pharmacy law professionals really do wallow in kind of a niche area. And if you're not wallowing in that area, you may get into trouble if you start providing recommendations oh. that you're not comfortable with, or you don't have a lot of experience in. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty decent healthcare attorney and I've got a lot of experience in the pharmacy space but I am a walking, talking malpractice case when it comes to family law or estate planning. And so it just means I'm not any smarter than any other attorney out there, but I just happen to be in this space where I think I know what's going on. And so it's just health law is unique. And just but the takeaway from this podcast is that the pharmacy needs to understand it truly does live in a glass house. If the pharmacy is doing something it shouldn't be doing, somebody knows about it. And that somebody often is an employee, eh, maybe a third party payor might be a governmental agency, but it's usually an employee. And so I'd rather that, that the pharmacy make a little bit less money and sleep well at night than make a whole lot more money and not sleep well at night. Yeah, absolutely fair. I want to shift gears a little bit. I've been asking a lot of the speakers about the COVID effect or the pandemic effect. 
are you seeing any kind of trends out of this arena that you'll be speaking about at our annual meeting and the COVID effect? Has it changed anything in terms of pharmacies and their value-added services? Absolutely. I mean, COVID, we all know that COVID is a game changer and COVID took our dependence on technology and shoved it forward 10 years over the space of the last 18 months. And what's interesting is from a legal standpoint, during the PHE or, or, or um, public health emergency, essentially Congress and essentially the Department of Justice and CMS and the OIG and the state boards of pharmacies and the FDA and everybody else essentially sat back and said, okay, healthcare provider, hospital, doctor, pharmacy, we're going to remove the restrictions on you. Go do your thing, keep patients out of the hospital, play nice in the sandbox, don't game the system because we're gonna come back and audit you later. So that's kind of where we are, where, where, the, where the law has basically relaxed and said, go take care of patients, but be honest because you're gonna to have to account for yourself. Well, during the PHE, which we're still in, you know, what we, and as far as specific to pharmacies, what we have seen that the COVID effect is certainly an increase in home deliveries. We've seen an increase in video conferencing between the pharmacy and the patient or the patient's caregiver. We've seen an increase in telehealth encounters between the patient and the treating physician. We are also seeing pharmacies enter into what are called preferred provider agreements with hospitals and with wound care centers and with SNFs, basically where the pharmacy will say, let us be your preferred pharmacy. You know, come to Jess Pharmacy versus Aaron's Pharmacy because not only am I going to dispense drugs to your patients, but I'm gonna follow up with your patients and or their caregivers with phone calls and other forms of communication to push the patient to go see his doctor, to take his meds, to drink some water, to do basic things to keep him out of the hospital. And so that's what we are seeing during COVID is just a, and we're also seeing a relaxation of um, documentation requirements. We're seeing the state boards back off, but then once the PHE is over with, whenever that is, and who the heck knows, then some, but not all of these restrictions will be imposed again. I think to your point that you made at the very top of this conversation, COVID has really accelerated a lot. Innovation, accountability, et cetera. So with that, Jeff Baird, can you share with our audience how people can connect with you if they can't attend the ASPL conference? Sure. You've got my name, Jeff Baird, B-A-I-R-D, and my email address is jbaird at bf-law.com. Phone number is 806-345-6320. And even though I'm an attorney, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm kind of easy to work with. So just give me a call or shoot me an email. Well, you're a fellow Hoosier, so you're all right. With <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I am a fellow Hoosier, Aaron. I still cry when I watch the movie Hoosiers, and I'm still ticked off 
that uh, the state of Indiana went to the class system for um, the basketball playoffs. But I digress. Yes. Well, with that, offering value-added services <laughs> while avoiding prohibited inducements. Jeff Baird, we're excited to see you at ASPL's fall meeting. Thanks, Aaron. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the ASPL podcast. If you're interested in attending or participating in our 32nd annual pharmacy law conference, you can participate in one of two ways. Again, live face-to-face in Summerlin, Las Vegas, Nevada, or you can join us virtually. You can earn up to 15 hours of continuing pharmacy and legal education. All of the details, the agenda and registration are available at ASPL.org. We'll see you there. Take care.